Welcome to Aging Better in Uncertain Times. I'm Gord Martineau, in studio, alongside Dr. Fabio Varlese. Here, we help you keep informed and up-to-date on the latest in science, medicine, and technology that helps us all age better in these uncertain times. We're also seeing an insomnia for, for patients that have had COVID. Mm. And what we're seeing uh, from my colleagues who are still working in the ICU is our patients who have COVID have more of what we call this encephalopathy where, you know, they are acting quite not quite themselves and they're disoriented. And is that because they're not around their friends and family to ground them? Or is it truly an impact of the virus on the brain? And then are we seeing sequelae of this afterwards? Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us on our weekly guide to living better, healthier lives so we can all experience aging better in these uncertain times. Now, throughout this series, we're going to examine the best ways to prepare ourselves for the future. So what is the best advice for our overall health? We're going to look at every aspect affecting your life, and that means physical, mental, financial, nutritional, and medical. We're going to cover all the bases. To do that, we'll supply you with valuable information from the leading experts in each field. And I don't mean just everyday opinions. We are going to introduce you to the leading experts in each field, men and women who have studied, worked, and who teach at the highest levels. You have questions, we have answers. Joining me here in the studio, Dr. Fabio Varlese, a specialist in internal medicine and geriatric medicine. He's the vice president of medical affairs and chief of staff at Runnymede Hospital staff specialist at Baycrest Health Sciences, Dr. Verlese, also an assistant professor at the University of Toronto. And welcome today to our guest, Dr. Seema Kosla. Uh, Dr. Kosla graduated uh, from University Medical College in, uh, in 1999. She works in Fargo, North Dakota, and specializes in critical care medicine, internal medicine, pulmonary disease, and sleep medicine. This is something we want to get into, Dr. Kosla. How important is, you know, we all hear, uh, you got to have a good night's sleep in order to be, you know, um, on the right side. And we'll get to that in a second. But first of all, uh, Dr. Varlesi, sleep, it's a huge issue with most of your patients. Uh, that is such uh, an important topic. I, I deal with uh, uh, this problem every day. I, I think I could actually say that every single patient that I assess that comes into my office or at the hospital, um, I think I ask about sleep almost every time. Mm. That's how important it is. Um, I have to say that older adults, um, as we age, 65 and above, you know, uh, still need their seven, eight hours of sleep a night and uh, in order to feel rested and alert. But with aging, and uh, Dr. Kosla, I'm really excited to hear uh, more about your expertise um, you know, sleep patterns change with aging, and um, and uh, these sometimes could provoke certain disorders like insomnia or trouble sleeping, and they need to be addressed. And there's medical reasons why that could be happening. There could be all sorts of medications that we as clinicians need to review. It could be simply just developing bad habits. It could be things that are going on in our lives. It could be issues related to uh, mental health and um, or mood disorders, uh, the stress of COVID, for example. I mean, there's no doubt that COVID has brought on extra opportunity mm -hmm. for anxiety, and that has been affecting the sleep, the quality of the sleep of our patients uh, every day. Dr. Kosla, you have been deeply involved in the studies of the importance of sleep. We, we've been told, you know, since we were children, oh, you know, you got to get a good night's sleep. But many people, I, I don't think, realize how significant 
and how important it is to have proper sleep patterns, especially as you age. Am I right? No, I think you're exactly right. And I, and I think we've seen a little bit of a cultural shift. So when I was uh, a resident, when I was in medical school, I, I think we looked at sleep deprivation as a badge of honor. So when I was an intern, the first mm. night after I had spent, you know, 30 hours in the hospital, I was driving home and I fell asleep at a stop sign Yikes. and somebody had to beat their horn at me to get me to go. And I just remember my immediate thought was, oh, I'm such a good little intern. I've worked so hard. And it took an embarrassingly long time for me to recognize how awful that was. It right. took years. Right. And dangerous. Very. Especially when you're behind the wheel. So uh, let's talk about when we age uh, through our various stages in life. What kind of changes happen in our sleep as we age? We do see some changes in what we call our sleep architecture. So when we look at brain waves, we look at everything 30 seconds at a time, and then we assign it a stage. And so, as you know, there are light stages of sleep and deeper stages of sleep. And what we see as we age is we get more of the light sleep and less of the deeper, more restorative sleep, and we wake up more. We have more frequent awakenings for, as you've already suggested, for a number of reasons. We also, though, see a shift in our circadian preference, meaning the time that we feel like we need to go to bed and wake up, where we start to go to bed earlier and we wake up earlier. We advance our sleep phase. Is it kind of a natural process that, that the older you get, the more likely you are to suffer from insomnia? You know, it, it does appear to be, but I think we have to be careful in how we um, decide that it's insomnia versus a circadian rhythm shift. So mm. if you are worried because you keep waking up really early as you age and you say, gosh, I'm up at four and I can't go back to sleep. I think we do need to reflect on, well, what time did you go to bed? <laughs> have yeah. you had your adequate sleep and have you just shifted? But because it is now misaligned with when you want to go to bed and want to wake up, we interpret that, you know, we assume that that's insomnia and maybe it is a circadian rhythm shift. Now, of course, there absolutely, um, we do see insomnia. Now, is it insomnia related to medical conditions? Mm -hmm. Is it worries? Is it habits? You know, it's really important to tease it out. It's not a one-size-fits-all solution, yeah. right? We can't just dole a sleep aid out for everybody. I think we really do have to be thoughtful um, about what the factors are for that particular person. And what kind of sleep aids, like, I mean, you know, there are all kinds of different things. Uh, for example, when, when I know I need a really good night's sleep, I'll take a, a, a gravel, not the entire thing, but maybe a 25 milligram or something like that. Are these safe uh, things to do? And, and what would you recommend? So that's interesting. So uh, we don't have gravel in the U.S. Uh, my mom actually brings, I'm, I'm Canadian. Yep. And so when my mom visits, she brings me gravel because we really do like it for motion sickness. Mm -hmm. When we look at the over-the-counter agents, they usually have some sort of antihistamine in them. Yep. And yes, they are cheap and they are everywhere, but we do see that they change our sleep architecture. So your eyes might be closed for six or eight hours, but you're probably getting more of the lighter sleep rather than the deeper sleep. Almost like the, a twilight situation? So maybe. That may be a, a, an interesting way. It, it, it may just be that we're not getting that really restorative quality of sleep. So even though the hours are there, it's not as restful 
The other kind of um, bizarre side effect that we sometimes see is restless legs. In fact, I saw a lady yesterday is restless leg syndrome. And so then your legs just have this, you know, creepy, crawly, uncomfortable sensation where you just feel like you need to move them. And of course, our natural instinct is, oh, I can't sleep and my legs are bugging me. I'm, I'm going to take more. Mm. I'm going to take more Advil PM or, or whatever the, the sleep aid is. And it makes it worse. Yeah. Now, have you noticed uh, more issues or more problems that people are having with the onset of COVID and the pandemic? Has that brought a whole new uh, area uh, into your studies and into your treatments? Yeah, it's it's actually been really interesting. So we have this phenomenon called COVID somnia, and we have a lot of insomnia related to work. We're worried about our jobs and our spouses and staying healthy. Um, and then we also are seeing this insomnia. So this is obviously very situational, right? Because of the social changes that have happened. We're also seeing an insomnia for, for patients that have had COVID. Mm. And what we're seeing uh, from my colleagues who are still working in the ICU is our patients who have COVID have more of what we call this encephalopathy where, you know, they are acting quite not quite themselves and they're disoriented. And is that because they're not around their friends and family to ground them? Or is it truly an impact of the virus on the brain? And then are we seeing sequelae of this afterwards? once they've healed from maybe the respiratory part of COVID. So Dr. Varlisi, this is another thing that, that I guess physicians everywhere are anxious to get at, to study what are the effects of COVID, and this would be one of them. How are we affected long-term? What are the residual effects of COVID? You know, this is uh, um, gonna be, uh, you know, followed, COVID is gonna be followed mm -hmm. for a very, very long time. The, be the complications that we're discussing about on the brain uh, have been a topic uh, of significance over the past few months. Uh, we know about uh, the problems associated with the vascular system um, and the predisposition to all sorts of uh, thrombotic type of events that we've been seeing in COVID patients, especially the ones that are very, very sick in the ICU. Uh, whether it's a direct impact of the virus on brain matter, whether it's the indirect effects of this infection uh, on brain function, it remains to be finalized and decided upon after reviewing all the evidence. But we are, we are um, going through an infection that is a bit unusual in the way it manifests, the way it affects uh, the body, um, and um, all organs are, are not spared. So there's no doubt that we're going to be learning a lot. Dr. Kosla, uh, would you advise your patients, uh, among other things, to make sure they're, they're up on whatever immunity shots they require for whatever underlying conditions they may have, and, and in particular, getting a flu shot? Are these factors, and, and do you think that, that they enter into the overall equation? I do. You know, we've known for a long time that sleep is really important for immunity. There was a study years ago where they introduced rhinovirus into people's noses, these volunteers. And of course, rhinovirus is a virus that causes the common cold. And then they looked at these volunteers and they followed them out to see who got sick. And what they found is that the people who slept longer were less likely to get sick with a cold mm. than the people who slept maybe five hours. And so we've always known that there seems to be almost a dose response curve where the more you sleep up to a certain point, it, it does appear to be more helpful for your, for your immune system. And yes, I encourage everyone, uh, our staff and our patients to get a flu shot. 
So is there an optimum number of hours when one should sleep? Because you often hear people say, well, I only need three or four hours and I'm good to go. I mean, is, is there a set standard we should be looking at? You know, for years, we've we've kind of um, hedged our bets with this question. And a couple of years ago, they did come out and say for adults, it's seven to nine hours. And that's based on data. We know that the amount of sleep required is is a bell-shaped curve. And so if you sleep less, you have a higher chance of death. But if you sleep excessively, you, you also do. And so the sweet spot for most adults is seven to nine hours. One of the subtleties of this pandemic that we're going through is the the stress and how that manifests itself in our daily lives. I mean, it can, it, it you know, it causes any number of, of issues uh, health-wise. So stress has got to be an additional factor in lack of sleep. It absolutely is. And, and, you know, it's so funny because we all manifest stress in different ways, don't we? Some people like to escape and really bury themselves under the covers and hibernate and other people ruminate about their thoughts and then they can't fall asleep. And, and COVID has its own particular stress and, and things that I hadn't ever considered. I, I have a patient, for example, who works at Walmart and she's lovely, you know, and she is in a higher risk category. Um, but some of the customers were being awful to her, mm. you know, they would spit at her no and kidding. just, wow. you no, know, it was awful. That's and so she wound top. up taking, isn't that terrible? It, it always amazes me how awful humans can be to one another. Mm. But she wound up taking a leave of absence for her, you know, health. And I absolutely, I absolutely agreed with her on that. So the, you probably see the same sort of thing happening to first responders. I mean, because mm-hmm. they are the first people who encounter patients, you know, when, when they enter the medical system. So they, I, I know for a fact that many of them are being abused and you really have to, to, uh, to, to honor them for the service that they're performing. Well, and that's just it. And it's more than just the hero narrative. It's the, well, be respectful, you know, do your part in all of this. What you do affects other people. Mm-hmm. What about diet and nutrition? Uh, do they factor into sleep patterns and, and how well we sleep? I mean, should be, people be staying away from stimulants like alcohol, which is a depressant, of course, or, or any other kind of meds that they, they may be, you know, self-medicating with? And you're exactly right. They're self-medicating. So we do see changes in that sleep architecture again with alcohol. Mm. Uh, we get suppression of REM sleep. So REM is that wonderful sleep where we have those really vivid dreams. Uh, and and so what we see is that with alcohol, we, we get less REM. But then as we metabolize the alcohol, we have what's called REM rebound, where we have a large stretch of REM sleep once the alcohol is out of our system. And for some of us, we'll only have sleep apnea, for example, during REM sleep. Part of what our body naturally does in REM sleep is that our muscles are paralyzed, probably so we don't act out our dreams. And then all of a sudden, a lot of us have more apnea because of that. Very important for people to understand the relationship between sleep and good health. Do you emphasize that to people? You know, you've got to get the right amount of exercise. You've got to watch your diet. You know, it's a lifestyle thing holistically. It is. And, And we talk about those three pillars of health diet, exercise, and sleep. And, and there's data supporting that exercise improves sleep. It does take about, you know, eight weeks or so to see that, that effect, but it's very real. And of course, what you put in your body, I mean, you're exactly right. If we're consuming caffeine before we go to bed, if we're not, if we're eating a bunch of sugar and a bunch of junk, yeah, we're, we're, it all goes together. 
it's hard to tease apart one. You can be really, really good at one realm, but that doesn't excuse the things that you miss in the other ones. We really have to be mindful that all of it is important, particularly now, right? Now is a time that we need to work on our weight and our health and our endurance so that we have a better chance of being healthier through COVID. Dr. Farleza, you you encounter this with patients. I mean, I've never understood people, and I know they do this, who can have a coffee at 8 or 9 or 10 o'clock at night, load up on caffeine, and they sleep like a rock. How is that possible? Well, um, different people have different sensitivities, and uh, not everybody responds to a stimulant the exact same way. But are they getting the REMs, though, if they're taking a stimulant well, like it's, that? It's definitely still going to uh, affect, you know, their, uh, you know their, the sleep pattern. There's no doubt about The question is how much, and, and it's a different... You know, it's different for every individual because we're not one of the same. We're 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 truly different genetically, et cetera. So yes, there are people that can tolerate. I'm I'm a person that has can take a coffee at night and actually not have that affect my sleep at least from a point of view of falling asleep, staying asleep. The quality of my sleep may be somewhat negatively affected. By the way, I don't do this every night, so just, so, <laughs> just, just so that you know. And Dr. Costa, I mean, you probably know this, that the peop- there are people, you know, will sit down to a large dinner and have, a, I don't know, a couple of glasses of wine, three, four, five, I don't know, and, and then finish it off with a coffee. I, mm-hmm. I don't understand how that's possible. Well, and you know, it is perception, right? Because we'll see this all the time in the sleep lab. Somebody will come in with their Diet Mountain Dew and they'll say, nope, I'm fine. It doesn't bother me, but we'll see it. On their sleep study, we'll see these little arousals and we'll see that their legs move. And and sometimes it, it takes a while. You know, the next day may not be enough time to see a change. So there is a study even with iPads where if you're watching this stuff right before bed, you have a lot mm. you know, more arousals. And it took a week without that iPad to really see improvement in your sleep architecture. And so we become almost self-defeating where we decide on Monday, I'm not going to be on my device before bed. And because we haven't given it enough time, we really can't see that improvement right away. So we just go right back to our bad habits. What are the the rules that you absolutely rigidly live by in order to get an appropriate amount of sleep for yourself? I mean, do you see yourself breaking the rules occasionally? Oh, sure. I've caught myself. Sometimes I'll sit there and I'll say, why can't I sleep? And I'll say, oh, well, it's because I was reading the news on my phone. (laughs) So then I chastise (laughs) myself. and, And, you know, every day is another day to get it right. Some final thoughts now with Dr. Varlese's prescription to aging better. Dr. Verlese, we've been talking about and dealing with the best ways to remain healthy, especially during a time of COVID. Getting a good night's sleep may seem kind of simplistic, but it does have an overall, uh, you know, it does have a, a very significant aspect to our health. It, it sure does. Before COVID, I can tell you that sleep is a question I ask my patients almost all the time. Mm. And with COVID, you have increased anxiety, increased sort of a stress of dealing with the day-to-day um, and uh, and so it becomes even more important and so with aging um, there are changes in sleep patterns we still need our seven to nine hours there's uh, really no change in that the evidence is pretty yeah. uh, straightforward um, patients um, need to know that they should ask their doctors about uh, this problem they have and not just address it with a sleep aid of your your preference 
it really should be a much more laborious sort of approach in the sense that uh, people like Dr. Kozla um, would tell us that, you know, it's important to perhaps be uh, referred to a sleep clinic do the sleep study, understand what else could be going on. And I deal a lot uh, with uh, sleep apnea, and sleep apnea does affect your cardiovascular system and predisposition to cardiovascular disease, but even memory. The mind is affected by sleep. The quality of your day is absolutely you know, ruined by a bad case of sleep apnea. And um, so again, aside from your doctor reviewing your medications yeah. and sort of like um, looking at your medical condition, um, it's, you, it's important to also spend the time to talk about things such as the, the non-medication related um, habits sure. that really bring you to health. So, uh, you know, uh, avoid sleeping too much during the day, go to bed at the same time, wake up at the same time um, every day, avoid eating, um, you know, watching your iPad or watching TV when you're in bed. If you're going to do that, do that outside of the bed. The bed should be really, you know, dedicated to, to sleep and um, and uh, try to be as active as possible. These are recurring, you know, yeah. uh, suggestions uh, in this uh, aging better in uncertain times um, uh, podcast that we're doing. The, the same theme is there all the time physical activity has a positive impact on sleep your diet has a positive impact on sleep so pay attention to that and we should remind people to get the immunizations they require for whatever conditions they have and that includes a flu shot uh, you can you know go to our website uh, myfluShot.ca and all the information is there so get a flu shot and take the uh, take the burden off the healthcare system Questions about aging better can be emailed to info at agingbetter.ca or by visiting our website at agingbetter.ca. Aging Better in Uncertain Times brought to you by Delos, Runnymede Health, Jewel 88.5, L'Oreal, La Roche-Posay, Vichy, Avicana, and Sanofi Pasteur in part through an educational grant. Be sure to drop in for your next doctor's visit on Jewel 88.5, Sundays at 8.30 a.m. or at Jewel885.com. Until next time, I'm Gord Martineau with Dr. Fabio Varlese, along with producers Dominic Schulo and David Sirsta. Be well and stay safe. <laughs>